Hello, and welcome to the Fantasy World Order Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am Pat Donovan. Joining me tonight is JP Nocerino. Hello, everyone. Everything going, man? Things going well on a negative 11 degree night in New York City. It makes me feel good to talk about some baseball. Yeah, warm you up a little bit. I mean, you know, we don't quite quite as bad as people in the Midwest. I think it's like negative yeah. forty or whatever it is out there. It's insane. I saw somewhere that it's going to be colder in Chicago tomorrow than in Antarctica. So that's yeah. pretty crazy. Well, everybody, stay safe, stay indoors if you can. Yes. Um, okay, so tonight we're gonna. It's not going to keep you too warm with what we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing catchers and relief pitchers. Um, so without further ado, let's kick it off. Let's talk about catchers. Uh, our first and second catcher off the board are extremely close in ADP. We've got JT Real Muto at 56.35 or Gary Sanchez at 57.61. I, I should add these ADPs are the NFBC ADPs from January 1st through the present day. So are you willing to pay this price for either of them? And if so, why? And which one do you prefer? All right. I think we're going to agree a lot tonight because, uh, well, I usually tend to punt catcher. And uh, JT was a guy I got a couple of years ago extremely late, and now he's going number one. It's pretty crazy for, for catchers. Uh, I think I'd rather have Gary at this stage. I'm not going to – you know, my strategy is usually never to reach on a catcher early, so I'm probably not going to be that guy. But if I'm going to pick either one of the prices, it's going to be Gary. I think the small, you know, speed help that you get from Real Muto isn't worth the the monster season that you can get from Gary if he's healthy. I think he's gonna, I think he is gonna bounce back and have a much better season. That average doesn't scare me that much. I think he just had an overall down year, the injury, and you know the, the fans were getting on him. I think he's really gonna bounce back and have a monster season. If JT ends up in in Cincinnati, like it sounds like he's gonna, I think he'll be very good. But I'd still rather take Gary at this price. Yeah, give me Sanchez. I mean, he's really the only catcher I could see cr- cracking 30 homers. Exactly. Um, last year was bad. A lot of it was really significant poor luck. The 197 BABIP is the fourth lowest in the last 10 years for players with 300 plate appearances in a season. Wow. So, I mean, even with last year's terrible BABIP, his career is 272. So, I mean, you're talking 80 points or nearly 80 points from his career average to where he was last year. Uh, you know, you mentioned he had a couple of injuries. He had off-season shoulder surgery as well. Um, you know, it, it's not like he didn't deserve a down year because he did. There was some poor batted ball quality. But I think, I think really you can tie that to partly the injury equation and part pressing. You know, like he just looked like a hitter at times that was just trying to – write his season with one swing of the bat way too often. Um, you know, and as far as Rio Muto goes, even with upgraded surroundings, I, I think he lacks the sort of upside that Sanchez possesses. I mean, in earnest, like I, I really view Rio Muto and more as like the best of a bad bunch sort of option. You know, he's got high to teens, high teens to 20 homer power, a 275 average, a handful of steals, good volume. It's a nice player, but I just fail to see how it's a top 60 selection, even if he moves. 
Because if he does move, he's going to move to a situation where he's probably not going to be hitting in a prime lineup spot. I mean, if he ends up in Houston, I can't imagine he's going to be above sixth in that lineup. If he's in Cincinnati, he's not going to hit above sixth. So, I mean, it's not like moving somewhere is going to provide him with some kind of, you know, ideal run production role. I mean, obviously it will go up from where it is in Miami, but I, I don't know. I, I just, I kind of fail to see the upside that warrants a top 60 selection. Whereas when you look at Gary, you know, he, he does something that no other catcher can do. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you said. Uh, like you still don't know where JT is going to end up if he stays in. I mean, it doesn't sound like he's going to stay in Miami, but that could be, you know, a big downer too if he's stuck there. Yeah, yeah, it can. It can be a huge. It can be a huge suck on his value. Um, you know, I mean, to an extent though. I mean, he's going to hit. If he's in Miami, he, he's going to he see ton, ton, plenty of volume. He's going to hit probably third or fourth. And you know, to the extent that the lineup stinks around him, yeah, but he's going to see more at bats there than he would see anyplace else, um, just based on you know lineup turnover and whatnot. So I mean. There's sort of pluses and minuses to that, but uh, to me, it's just there's not enough juice there to to make me want to take him at this point. Whereas Gary has got you know that plus power tool um, in a very plus lineup that makes him very appealing, um, at least as a chance to take. So let me just clarify you're you're not looking to take either one of these guys at cost though i'm not but if i was it's definitely going to be sanchez i can justify sanchez a lot more than real muto okay i'm the adp is a little high for me on sanchez but i could see myself buying in around five to ten picks later um so i'm not you know outside the ballpark on him i'm i'm not close on Rio Muto. I've got Rio Muto about 25 to 30 spots later in this. Okay, let's move to the third catcher, Salvador Perez, 108.82. So already a significant drop off the first two. And and uh, Sal's really on, kind of on an island by himself. He's got 50 picks from Sanchez and he's 26 from the fourth overall catcher, Wilson Ramos. So what do you make of Sal Perez as the third overall catcher? So, uh, you know, in our league, Sal is always a polarizing figure. I, you know, just looking at, looking at his career, I can't believe he's only 28, 28 years old. I feel like he's been around forever. So he's still relatively young for a catcher. Well, that's something that you really have to think about with him, too. I mean, yeah. he's not only has he caught a lot of games, but he's also, he also had those two deep postseason runs. So there's a lot of mileage at this point. Yeah, no, there is some mileage, but he's not. But like, just off the top of my head, I figured he was like 32. It just feels like he's a lot older than he is. I guess, guess you know, he kind of runs slow. He's kind of a lumbering guy, but he's got 40 homers. I'm sorry, 20, 20 homers and 20 doubles plus each of the last four seasons. He's been pretty consistent as they come for a catcher. I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that the 50 picks that separates him between him and Real Muto, he might actually have a better season than Real Muto. So. I, I like him a lot. I think he's as consistent as they come. You wish he'd, you know, walk more and strike out less. But the average, I mean, it was 235 last year. But other than last year, it's been pretty respectable. You can live with what he gives you at average. I, I, I mean, I think, you know, you know, you know the power is real. The guy can just hit. 
And he's, you know, he's only going to be 29. I think he could have another solid season. Yeah, I mean, Sal's got a lot of volume here. And it's really difficult to find another player that can sort of match it. Um, because the Royals can play him at DH when he's not handling catching duties. He's got the 20-plus homer pop. Um, you know, you outlined and you're correct that there's just not much to speak of in the way of play discipline or patience. But he doesn't have a bad K rate because of that aggressiveness, so he can live with that. Um, the value is going to rise or fall on the batting average. The BABIP was in the 240s last year, and that's below the career average. Um, and the really only explanation for that is just simply bad luck. So I, I, I don't mind projecting him back up around 260. A uh, ton of hard contact, which is great. Um, he certainly has his appeal. It's just whether you want to pay up for Sal's floor, which is what we saw last year, probably about 235, 240 um, 20s bombs. Or if you want to wait a few rounds and take your pick of the big middle, because there's still you know, a lot of good options on the board at 108. Um, so you're, you are foregoing some quality players for the sake of grabbing that sort of floor. Um, and, you know, I mean, I don't know that the ceiling is that high at this point. I mean, what's the best case? 270, 25 bombs. Now, I mean, yeah, that's awesome for a catcher, but still it's not, you know, like we're, when we were talking about Sanchez, you know, like, it, like there, there's a, there's a level there and, you know, I, I just don't know that Sal's got enough juice in him at this point, especially in KC, even with all that volume, that um, I'm going to be buying him in front of some of the other guys we're going to talk about. So, I mean, like, what do you think about the price on Sal? Are you? I think it's – I mean, like, if you take him there, I have no problem with it, but it's, I'm still not going to do it. I, I, at 108, there's definitely guys there I, I take over him at other positions. I'd, I'd probably – you know, I like to hoard pitchers. I'd probably take another starter there, and I, I just wait. But, I, I, like I said, I do think it's possible he has a better year than Real Muto. So, if you take him, I'm not going to criticize you for it, but it's just not going to be my move. Okay, let's uh, rank the next group. We've got Wilson Ramos, fourth, 134.71. Wilson Contreras, 139.82. Yadier Molina, 140.22. Buster Posey, 143.01. And Yasmani Grandal. So those are your fourth through eighth catchers. Tell me about the guy that you like the best among the group, but also give me a ranking of them. So I think I have to go with Yadier just for – you know, the guy, I, it's crazy. I've never owned this guy. I was thinking about it. I don't think I've ever owned him, but he's owned me throughout his entire career. Uh, it's crazy. <laughs> in both a fantasy and a real life Yeah, sense. no, exactly. He really has. And we know he's, he's up there in age, but the guy, I mean, he's still out there almost every day playing. Uh, he's put up really good seasons, and it really just has to do with the guys, the other guys that you named in this group. I don't think I could trust any one of them. You know, Posey's getting up there. He's battled injury. Uh, Ramos, I'm terrified of, if you want to call it my pessimism as a Met fan. But, you know, like Met players getting injured. He's always injured. It's like the planet's aligning for him to just, for you to draft him and him just never play. Uh, he played 131 games in 2016. That's the most he's ever played in the season. We know he can hit. If you tell me he's going to be healthy I'm, the whole season, I'm probably putting Ramos at the top of the list. But I, I can't guarantee that. Uh, so I think it's got to be Molina. He's, he's extremely consistent. He, he's, he's learned how to hit, you know, with power as he's gotten older. Uh, 20 home runs last year. If he gives you that again, I think he's fine where you're taking him in, in, at this spot. 
But if you want me to rank them, I'm probably going Molina, Posey, Grandal, Contreras, and Ramos. Wow. Okay. I'm terrified so, of Ramos. Terrified. So we're so we're sort of all over the board here because I've got them: Grandal, Ramos, Contreras, Posey, Molina. Yeah. Yep. Um, which kind of goes to show you that these guys all belong together, and um, you know stink. you can sort of pick your favorite. <laughs> I, I don't I don't agree with that. I, I, I don't no, think I'm they kidding. all. I don't think they all stink. I, I think that I, I actually I normally am someone that's either. I'm buying the very top end of catcher or I'm waiting. And I think this year I'm looking in this sort of middle group. Uh, I really do. And Grandal is my favorite. Uh, He's got a good shot at volume in Milwaukee. He's showcased fantastic power for a few seasons. Um, And that's got a shot to go from like 2025 to 2530 in Milwaukee because the park is so good. And the lineup is obviously great. You know, he's going to be able to drive in Kane, Yelich, Shaw, Braun, Aguilar. Um, so I, I do think that Grandal has a, a tinge more upside than he's had in recent years. Um, there's no looking over his shoulder uh, this year with, you know, Austin Barnes or whoever's stealing playing time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this group has it, – it's it's – it's got some, it's got some nice floor to it. I mean, Grandal probably in the worst case is like a two thirty five twenty homer guy. Ramos, you mentioned, if he's healthy, he's going to, he's probably going to hit pretty well. You can probably pencil him in for like two seventy, and somewhere between fifteen to twenty homers. I, I think he's going to see a good amount of volume. Um, Contreras had a down year, but I mean, last year he was talked about as a top two or three catcher um and so he's still young enough that he can bounce back uh posey you know we have to wait and see what the health situation is going to be he's coming back off hip surgery he had a down year but you know you can tie that to the to the injury but he's also getting up there and he's played he's caught a lot of games and and etc so he's sort of the risky one among this group but he's also the guy that could hit you know, 310 with 15 bombs and uh, be a fantastic value at this price. And then Molina, yeah, like, you know, like you said, it like super steady, like 15, 20 homers, 265, uh, pretty good run production. But like Posey, he's getting up there in years and he's got a lot of miles on him. And, you know, it's possible that the wheels fall off at this point, given his age. Um you know, I'm not betting on it, but he it does give him a little bit more risk than Grandal, Ramos, and Contreras in my mind. Um, at least in terms of the production, you know. I mean, you can say what you want about injury. I, I don't really like to worry too much about injury because I, I don't think that I'm qualified enough to sort of predict those sort of things. I, I think a lot of times it's sort of fluky. Um so I'm not as concerned about Ramos, but I am a little concerned about age, especially at a position that doesn't really age well. Okay, let's talk about what's left. <laughs> Jan yeah. Gomes, ninth. Uh, ADP of 232.13, a big drop-off to the Nats catcher from that group. So we're talking almost... Uh, 100 picks, uh, right around 90 picks between him and Crondall. 
Are you buying the Nats' new catcher, even though they've added Kurt Suzuki? Okay, I'm going to try not to sound redundant for the you know, next half of this, this show, but if you've waited this long to take a catcher, you can wait a little longer. None of these guys really excite me. I, I mean, when I step up to the board on draft day, I know there's going to be somebody I want more at 230 than Jan Gomes. I don't, I'm not buying a big season. I can see him being decent. And, uh, you know, he could be a valuable player. But with the, the loss of Murphy and Harper in that lineup, you really wonder, you know, what's, what it's going to be like. He's been decent, but, you know, he strikes out a ton. Average isn't amazing. He's bet 266 last year. It's decent. But in the National League now, he's going to face tougher pitching. You know, NL East had a lot of pitching. I it just doesn't excite me. I, mean, I wish I could get more excited about Jan Gomes. I don't think Kurt Suzuki will really, you know, eat into his playing time, but still it doesn't excite me. See, I, I do think that Kurt Suzuki might eat into his playing time. I mean, he's Suzuki's been really good in a part-time role in Atlanta the last few years. Um, he's capable defensively as well. But, I mean, even if he wasn't, even if you take that out of the equation and you said Gomes is going to get the volume, um, to, to be a potential top 10 catcher, you know, the, the production just has kind of been all over the place for him. He's had some really bad batting average seasons and the power has sort of been uh, touch and go. I mean, yeah, there is a scenario where he hits 265 and 20 bombs, but there's also a scenario where he hits 13 bombs and 215 um, and plays, you know, a hundred games. So the, the run in the RBI production isn't there. Um, he's not my favorite on the board still. I, I'm a little surprised that he's here. I mean, I understand that he finished inside the top 12 last year. So, you know, he, he's sort of just tracking along with his ranking from last year. But um, to me, it's, it's not a great selection at this price. There are definitely guys I like better um, that are still on the board. Okay, let's move to the 10th, Danny Jansen. We got a 235.04 ADP on him, so three picks after Gomes. Russell Martin out of town. Jansen seems to have the opportunity in Toronto. Is he your target if you miss out on the big middle? I think he is. I mean, it, you know, it's late enough in the draft where you could uh, – Jan Gomes I don't feel like is, is a sexy, you know, risky pick, but I feel like Jansen can really blossom and, you know, prove to be a, a worthy pick here. Uh I'll take one from your book. The hitting metrics look pretty good. He uh, showed a decent eye at the plate. Didn't strike out too much. He, uh, he had over 40 extra base hits. If you total the minor league and major league stats, he's going to have a ton of playing time and, you know, kind of might be under the radar on a team that's not that good. Maybe he'll just relax and have a really solid rookie season. I think he's a guy to definitely keep an eye on. And I'm definitely going to punt catcher and keep my eye on him late. Yeah, the – I'm not normally one to buy in on young catchers. It's a very difficult position to play and to learn at the big league level. Um, but almost because of the state of catcher, I'm, I'm sort of forced to like Jansen at this price. And, and I do like him. I mean, you mentioned the plate discipline is very good. Uh, suppresses strikeouts pretty well. Gets on base at a good clip um, and, and hits for a decent average. Uh, he had 15 homers and five steals across 455 plate appearances last year. Um, you know, got across the majors and the minors. Um, he's in the AL East. He's got a pull approach. Uh, so there might be a little bit of upside for the power. Um, 
you know, it, it's pretty likely that given the skills that he's shown, plus the volume that's going to be available, available to him, that he ends up being a plus contributor. It might not be a smooth ride, um, you know, as he sort of adjusts to the league, but, uh, you know, I think that the Blue Jays are going to give him every opportunity. I think they've made that plain by trading Martin. Uh, so, you know, good approach. There's there's some ceiling here that I like, and, and I think the volume is pretty safe. So, um, you know, I, I, I think, that, you know, like his floor might be like a top 15 type catcher based on the skills that he's shown. And he's got some upside beyond that, given um, the situation. So, yeah, I'm in on Jansen at this price. I think he's one of the better um, bets. And I definitely have him in front of Gomes. Okay, Willens Astudio. I have no idea if I said that right. Susu Studio. Um, yeah, we, we call him <laughs> Susu Studio. Uh, 235.58. Uh, he's hit pretty much everywhere and started to tap into his power in Winter League. But he might be the Twins' third catcher. Where do you think he plays, and, and does he play enough to return this sort of value? You know, it was, it's, it's such a weird player to discuss because we, we all saw from him we liked last year. And, you know, at the, in, in September or October last year, if I told you that this guy wasn't going to have a guaranteed job, you'd think I was crazy because he looked like he was really a young player that was, you know, be coming into his own and ready to have a really nice season in 2019. Yeah, I think he's going to – play I, based on what I read they want to find the bats for him I think he's going to play mostly catcher once it's you know once we get more towards the summer and if he continues to hit they're going to have to keep him in the lineup but you know there's talk of him you know spelling guys all over the the field you know they talked about playing him literally everywhere uh, he only struck out three times last year in 29 games that's pretty good in, in the 97 plate appearances uh, he had an 887 OPS Small sample size, but the guy definitely showed some discipline. He had a three fifty five average. He he hit a lot, and uh, I know he hurt you late in the season and helped you know the guy in our league win a championship. So uh, he's definitely a guy you want to keep an eye on. But the playing time is really a, a big factor here. I'm probably not going to take him just because I don't. You know, you might be taking a dead player if he doesn't play enough in the first couple months. But, I mean, if someone wants to jump on him, I guess you have to. He's, he's really shown a lot of promise. Well, I mean, you know, context is sort of king here, right? So, I mean, if you're a 12-team mixer and you like the upside and he's the 11th catcher off the board, um, you know, you're, you're going to be able to find a guy that you would take over him on the waiver wire, right? Like, like you're, one of your alternatives that you would consider – is going to be there for you um, after the draft. So I, I don't right. really have a problem with you taking the shot, um, but I, I just do have my doubts about sort of him finding his way into enough volume to, to really be relevant. I mean, he's played catcher, he's played third base. Maybe they can play him in a corner outfield spot or first base in a pinch. Uh, the versatility may work, but I mean – are are they just sort of forcing the versatility for the sake of trying to get him into the lineup? And then, you know, at what point do they say this guy is just a defensive liability at certain positions and stop playing him there? Um, you know, he, he gritted out okay behind the plate, but they've paid Jason Castro and he's a plus defender uh, behind the dish and he's got pretty good 
patience. So, I mean, he's not like a complete slouch for a major league catcher. Uh, Mitch Garver uh, was also a guy that saw time behind the plate last year, and he was actually pretty good. Um, So, I mean, and I don't know if they're going to send him back down. So there's a possibility that that Willens is is a third catcher as opposed to a second catcher, and you know that's sort of where it gets pretty iffy for me. If he's if Garver goes down to start the year and and Williams is the uh, backup catcher, then you can kind of see the path. You know, he can catch two days a week, and then they can find a spot for him to line up two other days during the week. And then that sort of catcher-esque volume to the point where you don't really have to worry about it because most catchers are getting a day or two off every week anyway. Um, But, I mean, in terms of skills, he's a complete unicorn. Uh, He doesn't strike out. He doesn't walk at all. Um, So he's extremely aggressive, but the the contact ability is amazing. Um, I am intrigued by the fact that, you know, he hit for a little more power in Winter League. you know, he's obviously fun to watch play because he's such a unique body type. You know, he's, yeah. he's, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch him play because he's such a, he's such a unicorn. But at the same time, you know, if you're, if you're in a deeper league and this is a guy you're relying on, I don't know if I want to rely on him given the fact that, I mean, he could see 200 at bats this year, you know, like there's, there's a very real zero floor here um, for him at this price. So it's a, it, it's got a quite a bit of variance and volatility to the pick. So if I, if I'm in a deeper league and this is a guy I'm relying on, I, I, I don't think I want to rely on him. Um, okay. So Francisco Mejia 12th, 242.25 um, might be the second consecutive backup catcher with Austin Hedges still in town. Do you think Mejia is going to get the playing time to matter? And what do you make of his skills? So everything you read makes it sound like they are going to split time or he is going to be the backup to start. I think Hedges is going to start uh, most of the games in April and May. I could see uh, Mejia really taking over the line share of playing time as the season progresses. And if he shows promise, he's starting to hit. He's starting to become the player everyone hopes he's going to become. I definitely see him having a much better impact in the second half of the season. I, but, I mean, you know, the power is still really expected to improve. He's still a very young kid. Uh, you know, you'd wish he'd show a little plate discipline and uh, the strikeout numbers would improve, and they still might. Like I said, he's still very, very young. I think he's worth a pick here because, you know, it is pretty late, and that possible breakout is, is still looming. If it's a keeper league, he's definitely worth the pick, you know, because he could be a very nice player for years to come. I'm uh, going to keep your eye on him, but I don't expect him to have a major impact in the first half of the season. I think it's definitely going to come in the later half, and I think it will come eventually. But, uh, you know, it's it's going to be a little test of patience with him. All right, hypothetical. If he goes to Miami in a deal for Rio Muto, um, where is he on this list? Is he above Jansen? I probably keep him in the same spot because I don't think he's going to hit right away. I still think he's got some growing pains to go through. And in Miami, it's not a you know sexy scenario where he's going to be in a great lineup. I, I it makes him more intriguing, sure. But I I probably put him I put him over Estadio, but I probably still take Jansen over him. Yeah, I I think I'm with you on that. I mean, if I could guarantee Mejia playing time, 
I'd be much more interested at this price. Um, and, you know, to the, the extent you're looking at five categories, he, he's sort of similar to Jansen. Um, you know, I, I think that he would hit for a pretty good average to start with. Um, you know, 15, 20 homer pop would be about what I would expect. Um, he wouldn't he wouldn't steal a handful of bags like Jansen would. But, um, you know, if he's 50-50 with hedges, it's just not good enough. And the lineup's not special. So, like, it's, it's just not going to be um, enough to make up for it. I mean, if he was in, you know, some sort of grade-A lineup where – um, you know, the run production might be there, even though he's not seeing quite the volume that some other catchers are seeing, you could maybe buy into it. But the fact is, is San Diego is just not a good lineup right now, um, despite the fact that they have some nice sleepers, um, you know, in the outfield and, and, and around the diamond. But it's just it's, – it's not an advantageous situation. So, I mean, without the volume in a non-plus situation – it just seems as though you're, you know, buying a lottery ticket and hoping that he finds his way into 75% of the appearances at some point, um, you know, or, or, or throughout the season. I mean, simply that he just takes the job from hedges and never gives it back. Um, that, that's certainly within the range of outcomes. But again, in a league where I absolutely need him uh, to do that, I, I, I just don't feel comfortable taking that chance. If I'm in a one-catcher league and I'm taking this guy as a flyer, um, you know, and, and there's going to be similar floor options available to me on the waiver wire, I'm perfectly fine with taking the chance, giving him a few weeks and seeing what happens and then moving on if I need to move on. Um, but if I absolutely need him, he's not, he's not the guy I'm taking at this point. Okay. 13th, Mike Zanino, 242.39, a change of scenery going to Tampa. Do you think that the Rays can help the catcher with the strikeout issues, or do you simply have to resign yourself to a bad batting average at this point? I think we know what he is at this point. I don't see any reason to believe the other strikeouts or the plate discipline is going to improve. But I guess if you've you know, waited this long in the draft, you could do worse at catcher. He's not a terrible pick. It's not sexy at all. Uh, he's going to a worse lineup. You know, he was hitting behind you know, Seager and Cruz and Cano all these years. Now he's in a, a Tampa lineup that is just not as eye-catching. But you know, he's hit 20 home runs each of the last two years. We know he's got pop. If you waited this long, like I said, you could stick him in and probably hope for 20 home runs, but I wouldn't expect much else in terms of average or any of the counting stats. Again, he's not sexy, but I guess you could do worse. It's hard for me to get excited about Mike Zanino, especially in Tampa. I'm really trying to, but I just don't see any room for improvement. I think we know what he is. I think he'll give you his, his 20 bombs and be consistent, but he's not going to improve. Yeah, I think you sort of have to resign yourself to the bad batting average when it comes to Zanino, unless, you know, he finds his way into a second ridiculous BABIP season. A couple of years ago, he found his way to like a 355 BABIP out of nowhere. Um, and that was really at the root of a season where um, the batting average was, was bearable. Um, I don't see anything regarding Sinino that indicates that Tampa is expecting some sort of change in approach or is going to try to change the approach. Um, 
He may benefit from the AL East. Uh, you know, the power might tick up to upper 20s. Um, but you're absorbing Joey Gallo batting average with that, without the Joey Gallo upside. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's sort of a team construction pick. You know, if you've got the batting average base and you can absorb it, I think he's going to have pretty good volume there. Um, so, you know, you can, you can take the pick, but again, it's just a, it's going to be a really big drain on that batting average. And I don't know that it's worth it for, you know, a few more homers um, over some other guys. So I'm, um, I'm not looking to draft Mike Zunino, um, but I will acknowledge that I'm going to keep my eye on him in spring training to see if there's anything different that maybe Tampa was working on him with that's keeping him quiet. Um, that, or that's been kept quiet. Um, you know, sometimes change of scenery can lead to those sort of things. Okay, 14th, Jorge Alfaro, 244.79, where over 500 plate appearances into his career, and he's sporting a 405 BABIP. That's not going to maintain. Um, do you think he can get the strikeouts under control enough to make him worthwhile? I don't see why he would. Uh, he's playing in, a, in Citizens Bank where people just love to free swing. He's another young player that's come up and, like, you know, you always hear the old timers talking about it, how times have changed and nobody cares about strikeouts anymore. And, you know, teams really don't. You'd like a guy to strike out less, but they're not going to harp on it. As long as the guy's hitting for, you know, decent pop and contributing, they'll, they'll let him strike out as much as possible. Uh, he's sitting in a good lineup. He's towards the bottom of the lineup. I guess at this point in the draft, it's not a you know bad idea taking a shot at him. He's got some talent. He looks like a decent player, but I think I'd probably take Wellington Castillo, who we're going to talk about next over him. I, I'm just not so I excited agree. about Alfaro. Uh, so I'm not going to continue too much more. Strikeout numbers are, are pretty scary. And uh, it's crazy. I mean, I'm really not trying to kill the guy, but it's just the catching position is so down when this guy is, you know, 14th on the board. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, the strikeouts can't get worse. It's 36% K rate, and yeah. he earns it. I mean, the swinging strike rate's over 20%, which was pretty stunning to me. Um, that's a real problem, and that means that the K rate's no fluke. Um, and, and he doesn't really have much of a walk rate to speak of, so he, he's going to have to make substantial improvements just to get his head above water. So, no, I'm not going to bet on Alfaro. Another thing is the Phillies are looking to compete, and if Alfaro doesn't improve, he's going to find himself on the bench. Um, you know, last year they went out and they got Wilson Ramos to send him to the bench. So this is an area of the team where they feel like they can improve. Um, and they've already shown it once. So if Alfaro doesn't sort of start to get his act together and start to clean up his approach, um, you know, he might be a guy that, sees a lot of volume in the first half, but then is a second catcher on his own team for the second half. So uh, that's something to keep in mind as well. Um, but I mean, th- on the plus side, the power is very much for real and the batted ball skills are promising, but if he's not making more contact, it doesn't matter. Um, so, I mean, there is some upside here. If he can find his way to more contact, if he can find his way to, a little more discipline. Uh, it, it's not a huge leap for him to become pretty useful pretty quickly. It's just that he's pretty far removed from where he needs to be to be able to reach that sort of level. Um, it would it, it wouldn't be a small step forward 
it would it would be a, a pretty big leap for him to improve to the extent he needs to improve to um, sort of reach that um, upside. Okay, 15th, Wellington Castillo, 253.32. Uh, you know, JP, you mentioned that you liked him better than Alfaro. Last year was broken up by a, disp- by a suspension. Could you see Castillo bounce back in 2019 and be a value at this price? I really can. I could see him being a, a solid contributor and a definitely a value at this price. I, I'm In my mind, I'm just kind of going to throw out last year totally. Like, I'm just not going to worry about it. The suspension on a bad team. I'm just kind of – I'm going to look at the player from 2017, and I think that's what you're going to get close to. Uh, Whether you think the PEDs, you know, aided him him a lot and now he's going to, you know, really not be able to hit for so much power, I don't really buy that. Uh, He hit 20 home runs in 96 games in 2017. That wasn't Camden Yards, but if, you know, he played another 40 games, let's say, you can definitely see him hitting at least five more homers, and that's 25 homers from a catcher. And you're taking him at, at the 15th, you know, ranking spot. And it's very late in the draft. I think at this point, especially someone like me, if you punted catcher all the way, you know, down here, you definitely do worse. And I really do think a, ba- a bounce back season is possible. Yeah, I'm with you. I like this price. Um, you know, I actually view him closer to Jansen and the big middle than some of the other guys we've talked about over the last few. Um, it's a boring profile, but it's 15, 20 homers. 260, um, you know, and, and that's what you really want to guarantee yourself. And I think that's what Castillo brings. You know, you mentioned the fact that the 20 homer season came in Camden. He's not in a bad park to hit in Chicago. Um, so, you know, it's not like he's playing in Petco. Um, and, you know, he's probably hitting somewhere within reach of Jose Abreu in that lineup. Um, and they've been tied to some elite free agent hitters. So, Maybe the lineup around him gets a little better. Uh, yeah, I, I actually think Castillo is a little underrated here, um, considering the sort of safe bat he brings at the position where a lot of guys are uh, suffering from significant question marks. It's okay. Gonna, be, go I was going to say, no, it's going to be an interesting draft if you and I are 10 beers deep and fighting over Wellington Castillo <laughs> in the middle rounds. It's going to be pretty funny, but. I have a feeling that's where we're headed. Yeah. It's, it, that, it that's sounds... how ugly the position is. That's, you know, quite frankly, a statement on the position. Yeah. Yes, it is. Okay, so let's move beyond the top 15. You know, I want to take some time and talk about Francisco Cervelli and Elias Diaz. Um, what do you think of cycling the pair in and out if Cervelli stays put? You know, I'm, I'm talking specifically in uh, leagues where you can set your lineup on a daily basis. Um, do you want to walk with Elias if Cervelli is traded? And where would he fit on the list above if that did happen? Yeah, I think uh, if you get if Cervelli was traded, you have to definitely move Diaz up a little bit. He's shown a lot of potential last year. Uh, I don't love cycling both players because I don't love using two spots in my roster for catcher. Last year, I had one catcher all year, or one you know one catcher on my team all year, and I had a pretty solid season. I made the playoffs and. I'm probably going to stick with that again. I don't love having two roster spots taken up by catchers. But if you have the room to spare, then I, I definitely see it being possible. Cervelli was amazing for me last year when I had him. When he was healthy, he was hitting. And uh, early, early in the year, he was really good. He had a high, for a high average. He was hitting home runs. Uh, it's interesting to you know, cycle both of them. I don't know if it's my strategy, but I couldn't hurt. I couldn't, you know, 
couldn't see it as a negative if somebody wanted to. But if Cervelli is traded, I definitely think Diaz moves up closer to the top 10 in catches. Yeah, I agree with you on Diaz. I, I think that he's extremely interesting if a trade goes down. Um, you know, there's high teens pop there, plus average, decent patience, good plate skills. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's very format specific. You know, I wouldn't do it in a two-catcher league because I think you're sort of capping your volume. Um, but if it's a one-catcher league and you've got the bench spots to do it, I, they posted 22 bonds, 170 runs plus RBIs, and hit close to 270 last year. Um, the run production is particularly impressive, but all you have to do is think about that lineup. I mean, they they regularly hit in the middle of it. So, And there's not really a, a reason for them to move down in that lineup. They didn't add any sort of bat that would push them – from the middle of that lineup. So, you know, I think when other, whenever either of them plays, they're going to hit somewhere pretty decent in the lineup. And yeah, I mean, if you, if you play both of them, you get that sort of elite volume that you really struggle to get from guys outside the very, very top end of catcher. So, I mean, it has its pluses and minuses. You know, obviously you mentioned the fact that, you know, you're using two roster spots on catcher and you are, but you know, it's sort of a stream spot too. You know, you, you don't, no one else is rushing out to pick up the pirates backup catcher. So really what you're doing is, is you're holding Cervelli and you're just sort of trying to figure out when they're going to play Diaz, um, you know, granted, it, it, it's going to take moves and management, and it's it's a bit of a pain in the butt, but it, it's also a strategy that can work in that particular format. Okay, let's move to Austin Barnes, a trendy sleeper last year. Um, he had a very disappointing year, though. Do you expect him to see the a majority of the starts in L.A.? And if he's seeing the majority of the starts, can he make good on his promise from last year? I guess he's going to see the majority of the starts, but I, I've never been as high on this guy as most people are. Uh, he has 12 total home runs in his career. Uh, I'm not buying the hype again this year. I think he might eventually turn into a solid player and be useful later in the season. But, you know, I'm not going to be the guy to take him. I think Russell Martin, you know, heading over there, he's definitely going to be the veteran that they brought back to, you know, work with the pitchers, even though the pitching staff is great, but I think, you know, they, they want to keep him in there a lot. I think they're going to rotate both guys freely, and I don't think you can trust either one of them. Uh, if I had to, you know, choose between this pair and the, the pair we mentioned from the Pirates, I'd definitely take the Pirates pair. If I was going to cycle either one of the groups, it would definitely be Cervelli uh, and Diaz over these two. Yeah, I, I would agree with that last point. Um, I'm a bit higher on Barnes than you are. I I just think it's a little bit of recency bias that all of a sudden Austin Barnes, it's terrible after last year, everybody going absolutely insane. And in some cases taking him over Yasmani Grandal, um, you know, Barnes offers some power, some speed and some speed at the catcher position is useful. Uh, he knows how to take a walk. He had a really, really rough year last year. Um, but, you know, I don't think he's as bad as he was last year, nor do I think he's as good as he was in 2017. Uh, you know, I could see, you know, 12 bombs, eight steals, 250 with 
good on base ability if he was to play full time, uh, you know, and, and full time being relative for a catcher. But that's really where the issue comes in is, is I, I think you're right. I think that they traded for Martin with the intention of, of playing him quite a bit. Now, Martin and Barnes are both um, pretty athletic for catchers uh, and can play outside of the catcher position. And the Dodgers love to utilize their versatility. So, you know, even if it's a 1A, 1B type situation, they might see a little bit more volume than, um, you know, a catcher situation like in Atlanta where uh, McCann and Flowers are projected to split time um, because they can each play around the infield and they might get, you know, a handful of starts there over the course of a season. Um, but, yeah, it, it, this, the, the Martin trade really ruined Barnes in my eyes. Now, if they've been linked to Rio Mudo as well. So now if Rio Mudo gets traded to gets traded to LA and Barnes goes back to Miami and he's seen full time, he becomes much more interesting and he's in that sort of Wellington Castillo conversation for me. Um, you know, Castillo obviously being a little bit safer and a little bit more floor than Barnes, but Barnes having sort of an intriguing, unique skill set for a catcher. Um, so, you know, it's just something to keep in mind. Um, Carson Kelly was likely to be the everyday catcher in Arizona. He had disastrous results in St. Louis, but he was part of the Goldschmidt trade. Do you, do you think you could see him bounce back and make good on his prospect promise in the desert? Yeah, I don't really see him making good on that promise. He's got 18 total hits in 63 career games. Uh, none of those are home runs. He's looked like a guy that's just been overmatched by big league pitching. And it's, you know, it's a small sample size, but over the course of, you know, three little clips of playing time in three seasons, he just hasn't hit at all. Uh, like I said, the power at, he's not any power. He's had four doubles in three seasons. It's only 63 games, like I said, but still, the, the power is just not showing itself. And you know, the lineup loses Goldschmidt, so. Uh, you know, Arizona's obviously not going to have as potent as a lineup as it had last year. I think it's possible the breakout happens, but if it does, you can just pick him up midseason. I don't think you have to waste a draft pick on Carson Kelly. Yeah, I think in most cases you're right. I mean, you know, one catcher leagues, he's not going to be an asset that people are going to chase. Um, so you can sort of keep your eye on him, and if you see signs of a breakout occurring, right. uh, you can scoop him up. Um, so, I mean, if you're, if you're punting catcher, he's sort of a watch list guy in those one catcher leagues. Um, in two catcher leagues, I'm a little bit more intrigued, but I am a little worried about the volume. Um, you know, they've still got Alex Avia there. Kelly is obviously the future, but I wouldn't be shocked if they sort of ease him in, given the fact that he has struggled so much at the big league level. I'm not terribly worried about uh, what is a pretty small sample at the major league level. I mean, you know, those sort of things happen. Not all prospects come up and excel right away. And he's – and I mentioned this earlier when I talked about Jansen. You know, catching is incredibly difficult and at the major league level. And a lot of times um, catching prospects come up and struggle with the bat in their first instance because they're – devoting so much time to learning the staff and, and learning how to play the position defensively at this level. Um, 
Kelly doesn't present any sort of like crazy offensive offensive ceiling. I mean, he's probably in the best case, like a 260, 265, 15 homer guy. And, you know, that's sort of optimistic. But I could I could see that outcome, you know, at the top end of his range of outcomes this year. Um, so I, I think he's worth watching. But, you know, really to me, it's going to be a two-catcher format and it's going to be – that's going to be dependent on – how the playing time sort of breaks down in Arizona. Um, because if he's behind a via, I don't know that I'm terribly interested. Okay. I think we've run the gamut on catchers. Let's move it to relief pitchers. And I've got some general topics that I just wanted to discuss, you know? So, I mean, you and I are both of the mind that you probably shouldn't pay a premium for a closer, right? Yeah, we're from the same school. I was going to say, I'm sorry if I don't seem excited in this next part. But, I mean, we, we both come from the school of thought where you don't pay for saves. You and I have never taken a relief pitcher high in the draft, and I'm sure that'll continue. So, all right. I mean, since we've kind of established that we're not the types to pay for your elite closers, you know, when do you start to look? Are you looking at pick 60? Are you looking at pick 80? Are you looking at pick 100? It's usually, you know, past pick 100 for me because I'm not taking them on any inside the top 10. You know, round 12, 13, 14 is where I start to look. I usually, I usually group them together where I'll either go back-to-back reliever in like rounds 14 and 15 and get two solid guys that, you know, have secure jobs but aren't amazing. And then, you know, pick on the, the crop of what's left in the, in the, at the end of the draft and pick up a few guys that either – have a shot at, you know, stealing the job or just on a bad team. Do you have any names in mind where you're starting to shop? You know, like, is there, is there like a cutoff line where, where you say to yourself, all right, well, I've got to start to look now. Um, I'd probably say around uh, Iglesias is probably at the top of that list. I mean, I probably wouldn't get him because he'd probably go, ahead of where I'm looking, but more like Doolittle, Leclerc around there. Yeah, I think I think we're in the same ballpark. Uh, you know, I'm sort of waiting. You know, I, I am very intrigued by Brad Hand. I will admit that, but he's a bit expensive. Um, yeah, I mean, once, once we're in that Doolittle, um, Iglesias, um, sort of range that's where i you know i've got a, I've, there there are five or six guys there that, that i sort of like uh kirby yates is another one um off the top of my head so i mean i think that's where i want to be shopping for my first closer and then sort of take another one a few rounds later you know i'm, I'm thinking archie bradley i'm thinking um, Trevor May, if he's going to get the saves in Minnesota, you have to see what the reports are. Um, maybe Leclerc falls, uh, Ken Giles. Um, you know, I wouldn't mind taking uh, a shot on Cody Allen on the bounce back in Anaheim. Um, you know, if, if it came to that, um, one of the Phillies guys, they're supposed to split. Um, 
one of the Braves guys, I wouldn't mind taking a shot on either. Um, so, I mean, you know, Sir Anthony Dominguez or David Robertson or A.J. Minter or Arotis Viscaino. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't really have a problem sort of getting a, a 50-50 share guy as my um, second guy because I think there's a lot of that this year. And really all I want is a quality arm that's going to get some saves because I, I think through the year in most leagues – you're going to be able to find another closer at some point via trade or, or just attrition or, um, you know, playing the waiver wire and, and, and being a little bit anticipatory. I, I just don't like to freak out too much about saves at the draft table because I, I think that there's always a path that emerges to finding them through one avenue or another. Um, you know, I just want a decent base and I'll find my way the rest of the way, I think. Okay. Um, so how many setup guys do you like to carry as ratio boosters? And as a rule of thumb, do you target the ones with the best skills or the ones with the highest likelihood of getting save opportunities? All right. So this is going to be an interesting discussion because I know we come from different uh, thoughts here. Uh, if I'm going to, carry an extra relief pitcher it's got to be a guy that has a chance of getting saved i'm not big on you know the ratio boosters if i'm gonna carry that extra pitcher you know i love the horde starting pitchers i'd love to just keep a, a terrible starting pitcher on my roster and hopes that he gets hot and you know which I've, I've gotten lucky with before in the past so i i don't really like to keep too many you know middle relievers it's got to be a guy that has a chance at, at getting saves I, i'm not big on the high k guys like i said i'd rather just have another starting pitcher. That's just my theory. I know you have a completely different one, but that's just how I construct my team. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm big on setup guys with, um, you know, great skills and by great skills, you know, obviously K rate um, is, is first and foremost um, combined with a good walk rate. Um, sort of the guys that can help you across ERA, WHIP, and Ks, um, and, you know, any other ratio categories you might have in the pitching realm um, is, is where I'm looking. And, and I do want the guys with the elite skills first and foremost um, because I'm sort of looking to supplement my starting pitching. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not – I'm not like you in the, in the, in the, in the fact that like, I do not want to just carry, um, you know, excess starting pitching, um, you know, and, and, you know, again, this is league context specific, you know, in, in a league where I've got, where I've got a bench and it's a daily lineup league where I can shift guys in and out. I like, I like to carry a couple of extra hitters to try and increase my volume. So I don't want to be wrapped up with, with too many starting pitchers. And as a result, I, I, I kind of end up trying to supplement my innings with quality relief innings, um, you know, and, and really in most formats, you're, you're able to get guys with great skills at pretty good prices. Now, you know, the Josh haters of the world are going to be expensive and I'm not going to shop there. Um, but you know, uh, uh, maybe a bounce back from Andrew Miller is, is possible. Um, I really like Ryan Presley in Houston is another name that's, that's got 
significant K upside. Um, Patances, but it'll probably be expensive. Patances, yes. It, well, yeah, it all depends on the room. Yeah. Um, but but those types, um, Chad Green is another one that's always cheap mm-hmm. and who, who has fantastic ratios. I mean, the entire Yankee bullpen, right? Yeah, basically. Um, Vino now yeah. um, is, is fantastic um, and a lot of fun to watch pitch. Um, so, I mean, you know, there are guys out there that are, are capable of sort of boosting the value or, or, or the results of your starting pitching, um, you know, by sort of, sort of aggregating with them. Um, and, and I like to, I like to sort of take advantage of that because I, I think it's sort of, it, it's, it's certainly not a new approach. It's, it's one that's arisen over the last few years, but it, it's still an approach that in most leagues you're able to, um, incorporate without spending too much. Um, now, I mean, if they're in line to get save opportunities next, if somebody gets hurt, that's fantastic. Like I'm, I'm on board with that. If I've got guys with similar skills and maybe skills wise, I like player a better, but player B has got a clearer path to saves. I might go, I might opt for player B, but you know, the skills have got to be relatively close. I'm not going to, I'm not going to roster, um, you know, Tyler Hildenberger <laughs> over, you know, a, a really quality um, reliever like a like a Chad Green, just because there's a world where Tyler Hildenberger gets saves at some point. It's just <laughs> not my, it's not my, it's not my modus operandi. I'm not going to do that. Okay, so since we're both wrestling fans and the Royal Rumble was this weekend, I, I thought we'd have a little fun with. Of relief pitchers and maybe take maybe do like a mini draft and do the top 30 uh, one through 30 pick our relievers and just give a quick blurb about why we took them and, and why we like them so Jay if I gave you the first pick so who would you take yeah I think I had to go uh, Edwin Diaz that's crazy thinking a Mets reliever at the top but uh, we saw how valuable he was to you know the champion of our league last year he was really good for him I think the Mets are going to have a ton of save chances, whether they're going to, you know, convert them all or not. But, you know, with the decent, really good pitching staff, they're going to hand him the ball a lot. Usually, you know, they should have a lot of leads. I think uh, the strikeout numbers are only going to get even better coming to the National League. A lot of teams that haven't seen him. I think Diaz is the consensus number one. Okay, I've got the next two picks, and I'm going to take Blake Trinan, um, podcast favorite from last year. Uh, cash big time, um, you know, as a guy that was going in the 15 to 20 relief pitcher range. Um, nasty, nasty stuff. Good team. Um, you know, can throw multiple innings. He's get, He can get grounders and Ks. He really took his game to a next level last year. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't see really any issue. I mean, with the grounders, obviously that defense is fantastic, at least on the right side of the infield. So, um you know, I'm totally in on Blake Trinan um, as the second overall reliever. And then the third um, guy that is on my board is Araldus Chapman. Now, there is a little bit of risk-reward here with Chapman. I mean, you've got so many good relief arms in that pen that if he was to stumble, could he give up some saves? Absolutely. But 
the Yankees have consistently gone back to Chapman. Um, he still shows plus skills, plus velocity, um, and obviously the bullpen around him and, and just the whole roster, I think, are going to present um, quite a few save opportunities for him during the course of the year. So uh, Chapman is my number three, and he's the guy that I would take. So, Jake, now you go back-to-back here at four and five. Yeah, I think at four, I'd have to go Brad Hand. Uh, you know, the Indians acquired him. You know, they, they want him to be that stability at the back of the bullpen. I think they're still going to be pretty a pretty good team. I think they should hand him a lot of leads. We know the stuff is really nasty. He did a great job in San Diego. So I think that's a pretty easy pick there with Brad Hand. And then uh, the next pick, I'd probably have to go Kenley Jansen. You, you know, it's scary. The guy had a heart surgery. Obviously, it seems like he's doing all right. He's already throwing, and uh, he hasn't seemed to have lost any of his stuff. He seems to be good to go. Just based on consistency alone, I think you have to go Jansen there. And, he, you know, he was going probably number one overall or close to it last year. So he's dropped a few spots, but he's yeah, still Yeah, he was pretty, definitely pretty... the top reliever off the board Yeah, so the Dodgers, I mean, should still win at least 90 games or close to it. And I think he's going to get a ton of saves. Okay. Uh, I would take Craig Kimbrell next. Um, you know, I mean, years and years and years of high-quality relief work, um, you know, high K-rate, uh, heavy save source, obviously free agent at this point. We do not know where he's going to pitch. But he's always been a guy that he doesn't really have that multi-inning reliever, fireman sort of role. Like, he's a set-it-and-forget-it closer type Um you know, I think that ultimately he ends up back in Boston, but wherever he ends up, I expect him to get the majority of the save chances um, and post, you know, a very high K rate with capable ERA and whip numbers. Yeah, the walks are a little bit concerning. Not enough that anybody else left on the board laps him. And then I, then I think I'm looking at Roberto Ozuna in, in Houston. I mean, again, high-quality situation. A team that's going to win games. Um, you know, he was – very good in Houston last year um, and, you know, has essentially been an excellent relief pitcher and closer um, throughout his whole career, um, short as it may be. Now, obviously, you've got the off-the-field concerns, um, but this is a guy I think that realizes that he's probably on his um, last legs if if he if he has another incident um like he did last year. Now, I mean, of course, if you, the game is supposed to be fun. If you can't roster a guy that did what he did, you know, I completely understand that. But, um, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's about the numbers. And, and this is the guy that I think um, ranks seventh on my board. All right. So I get the next two. I probably go, I mean, I will love it because uh, they have Kella, in Pittsburgh, but Felipe Vasquez is probably the guy here. Uh, he had a really nice season last year. He blew a bunch of saves, but just, you know, strikeout numbers are there and he did his job most of the time. So I'm not in love with the pick there, but I think if you, you know, in, in that order, if he falls to me, I'd have to take him. And then next, I'd probably have to go with Corey Knable. I'm not worried about Hader. I really think they're going to just stick him as a lefty specialist. I think Knable's going to get most of the saves on a good team. And I think he's going to have a lot of opportunity, and he's a good pitcher. He's got a lot of good stuff. I think I'd go Vasquez and Canable back-to-back here. 
Okay, uh, I'm going to take two guys we talked about earlier, Rysel Iglesias and Sean Doolittle. Um, Iglesias just got a contract extension from Cincinnati, so, I mean, I think he's somewhat safe in Cincinnati, and, and Cincinnati has really tried to take some steps forward and compete this year. So I, I, I don't think he's going to get sold off into a situation where he's not going to get saves. Um, he's been a consistently productive reliever since moving to the pen and been able to stay mostly healthy. Um, you know, he's not, he's not elite, but he's uh, very much that second tier of closer um, where he's very solid, very consistent. Um, so Iglesias is, is, is there for me. And then Doolittle, um, he's got a little more upside, I think, than Iglesias because of the K rate. Um, the situation is somewhat similar. Washington is still a very competitive team, regardless of what happens with Harper. Um, you know, the pitching staff is, is awesome. The lineup is still very good, even if Harper doesn't come back. Uh, so I expect the opportunities to be there. The only concern with Doolittle is the health. Um, you know, he's been a guy that's had some health issues over the course of his career. But, you know, as far as buying elite skills and not worrying about not worrying too much about the health piece, I, I think that this is where he slots in. All right. My next guy is probably going to be Cody Allen. I think the Angels went out and got their guy. That's a spot where, you know, they, they've struggled to find that secure reliever in the back of the bullpen. And they juggled guys the last couple of years. He's a veteran reliever. I think he's going to get the job done most of the time. And I think they've got him for that, you know, job specifically. I think he's going to get every opportunity. He's pretty safe out there. So I'd definitely go Allen there. And the next one, I'd probably – I mean, I'm thinking Kirby Yates, but I you know, don't love the team. Don't think they're going to get that many wins. I'd probably go Leclerc just because I really liked what I saw from him last year. I had him on my team. His stuff was really good. I love the strikeout numbers. I think he's going to, you know, really settle into that role and be a solid closer this year. So I'd go Allen and Leclerc back-to-back, yeah. Okay, and I'm up with my 14th and 15th. Uh, I've got Kirby Yates. Um, glad you passed on him <laughs> because yeah. I like him a lot. I mean, San Diego's always been a, a spot where it's kind of been, oh, are they going to win enough games? Are they going to win enough games? And Brad Hand has posted really good seasons there. And, and Kirby Yates has, has been a very, very good reliever. Um, in San Diego over the last couple of years. Uh, last year, took the role, really ran with it. Um, plus skills, you know, I'm not terribly worried. If San, and, and San Diego, I think, is an improving squad. I think the lineup is getting a little bit better. Um, they have some uh, pitching in the minors, and I'm a big Matt Strom fan as well, um, who, who I think is going to go into the starting rotation this year. So, I, I think that San Diego's got some sneaky potential, but regardless, I mean, I, I think that Yates is a guy that can easily save 30 games and, and, pl- and post plus ratios. So I'm not terribly concerned there. And then I moved to Ken Giles, who had a pretty nice run to end the year in Toronto. Um, you know, the ERA was over four, but that was mostly due to one bad outing. Um, he settled in there and you know i think getting out of houston is probably the best thing for him um obviously given the fact that he was to return the azuna trade i I suspect that toronto is going to give him every opportunity to run with the job um yeah homers might be an issue so the era might be a little weak for a closer you know he might be around three five 
but I think the volume of saves will be there. Uh, he can still strike guys out. That slider is still nasty. So, uh, um, you know, and, and I think he's a locked-in guy, too. I don't think he's going to be a 50-50 guy or even a 70-30 guy. I think if Toronto gets a save chance, uh, provided Giles doesn't implode, he's going to get that save chance. So um, I'll take a consistently reliable save source, even if it's um, not quite as pretty as we might like it to be. All right, I'm up with 16-17, uh, is that correct? Yeah. So Yes. I'd probably go Big Willie style Will Smith here. I think uh, he settled into that role last year. He did a pretty good job. There was some talk about trading him, but he seems like he's, you know, he's, he's a giant for now, so we'll see. I think they'll be decent. Uh, they're not projected to be amazing this year, but I think they'll contend for most of the season. I think he'll get a bunch of save chances, and he's pretty much the guy out there. And the next guy is a little bit of a reach, but I think it's got to be David Robertson. I think he's going to emerge as the closer for sure over Dominguez. I think the Phillies got him to be that veteran at the end of the bullpen. They're going to win a lot of games. You know, they're going to, you know, have a lot of leads, especially if they sign Harper. They're going to be a big-time team. And I think he, he's a guy going from the AL most of his career to the NL. A lot of guys that still haven't seen him. He's always had good stuff. I think Robertson's a good pick here. Uh, I'm up 18 and 19. I can't let Josh Hader sit out there anymore at this yeah. point. Um, you know, the ratios are amazing. Um, he's going to grab a handful of saves, certainly. Um, you know, it, it's it's not that I don't like Hater. I do. I mean, I own him in a dynasty league. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a huge fan of his. I'm a huge fan of watching him pitch. Um, he's probably, if not the most single devastating reliever in the game, he he's definitely up there. Um, it's just taking him as a top 10 relief pitcher is sort of a tough pill to swallow uh, because it means I've still got to come back and get a steady save source. Um, but, you know, here in this scenario is ideal because if he's the 18th reliever, you know, he's my second guy and I can live with the fact that, you know, he's going to grab somewhere between five to 10 saves and just take the elite ratios, and I'll worry about getting the saves down the line. Um, if he's my first relief pitcher, I- I'm just not as crazy about it. Um, but that has nothing to do with the fact that, you know, Hader is an amazing pitcher. He's going to produce. He's got probably going to be the most valuable um, relief pitcher that doesn't get saves. So, you know, if you're if you're punting saves, maybe he's your guy. Um, but he- he'll definitely help you in the ratios. And then I'm going to take Archie Bradley. Um, you know, I, 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 Arizona came out. Um, Terry Lavolo had said that Archie is going to be his guy uh, to start the year, most likely. Um, you know, we've seen one great season from him. Last year was sort of mediocre. Um, but he, I think he's got the mindset to close. I think he'll excel in the role. I think the stuff might play up a little bit based on that situation. Um, I know they went out and signed Greg Holland, um, who had an absolutely atrocious year. So, I mean, R.C. is not 100% into that role. Um, Hiranu is also there, who had a very good year last year. But uh, Lavallo specifically mentioned Bradley over Hiranu when asked. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Bradley is going to get the opportunity, and I think he has a shot to run with it. All right, next up, I uh... – Kind of can't let Wade Davis sit out there any longer. 
I don't love the pick. He blew up a bunch of times last year, but he did lead the NL in saves. Uh, he seems like he's the only guy out there. The Rockies should be pretty good. Obviously, it's scary to have any pitcher in that ballpark, and you're going to have to live with some blow-ups. But I think at this point in the draft, he's probably the best available and, and you know, the most qualified to get a substantial amount of save opportunities. So I think it's a pretty easy pick there, even though it's scary. Uh, and next, I'd probably have to go Andrew Miller. I think the Cardinals are definitely going to be a, a team on the rise and, and definitely going to contend for the playoffs this year. And I think he's their guy at the end. They got him specifically for that. And he's going to, you know, you know how much of a veteran he is. And when he gets on a roll, he's really tough to hit. He can go for a couple months and just strike out the world and be unhittable. So I think he's the guy in St. Louis. And I'm going Wade Davis and Andrew Miller, a couple of veterans, but they're in safe spots. Yeah, I'm up at 22, and I'm going to take Sir Anthony Dominguez. I'm going to take the other end of that Phillies bullpen. Um, you know, they sort of indicated that Robertson might be more of the fireman, but it, it sounds like it's going to be a shared situation. I'm okay with that. I, you know, I, I can I can bank uh, Dominguez's 15 saves. He's very good last year, good ratios, very solid work in terms of ERA. So, I mean, at worst, I've got myself a good setup guy. Um, that can find his way into some saves. At best, I've got the closer on what should be a pretty good Phillies team. Um, and if it ends up in the middle, I'm perfectly okay with banking his, you know, 10 to 20 saves that he'll get as a part-time closer and taking the elite ratios that come with it. Um, and then I'm going to take Trevor May. Um, you know, the Twins added Blake Parker. Um, there has been some speculation they may add Craig Kimbrell. I don't think they're going to get involved in Kimbrell. I can't imagine they're going to pay him. Um, and Parker was the Angels' closer last year for like a day. And then he lost the role. And then he got it back later in the year. You know, all told, Parker's a, a decent relief arm. But I think May's got the chance to be pretty special. Um, he was really good at the end of last year, posting a caper nine in excess of 12 with a, um, a walk rate, I believe that was sub two. Um, and and just overall really good results other than the fact that he gave up some homers. Um, and I, I think that I can buy in on May as, as a type that, um, you know, at minimum is going to be a ratio helper, uh, but at most has the potential to quite, quite honestly be a top 15 relief arm, if not better, if he's seeing the saves. All right, for my next two, uh, I have to go Matt Barnes here. I mean, we're talking about the defending world championship closer. I mean, it's only January 30th, but he's still the guy. I mean, they haven't re-signed Kimball yet. If they do, obviously that will change. But right now, I don't think I can overlook him anymore. He's going to get a ton of opportunities. We know how good that team is. And I guess, you know, you just have to take him at this point. And in a similar uh, situation, Pedro Strope, don't love the guy. capable of blow-ups. But, I mean, if you're the Cubs' primary closer on January 30th, I'm going to take him. So I'm going Matt Barnes and Pedro Shrope. I think they're the guys currently when, when we hit opening day. Things can happen. Guys can get traded. But I'm going to go for those two right now. Okay, 26 and 27. Um, first up, I'm going to go Jose Alvarado, who's currently the favorite for saves in Tampa. Now, we know, obviously, Tampa has been very creative with their bullpen usage, um, you know, and – having the quote-unquote guy 
isn't necessarily a guarantee of getting all the save opportunities. Um, but Alvarado showed some definite skills in terms of K rate and has really filthy stuff. Um, I'm, I'm willing to take the shot that he sees 15 to 20 saves and helps me quite a bit in ratios. Um, so he's first up. And then I'm going to take Kelvin Herrera, um, who signed with the White Sox. Um, now there's been talk of, well, you know, Herrera was hurt. Is he going to be the guy? Is Colomay going to be the guy? Uh, my theory when it comes to this sort of situation is Herrera's on a guaranteed contract. He's got two years for whatever amount of money he has. Colomay is still in arbitration. Um, saves inflate the cost of arbitration. If the White Sox are intending on competing, it's in their best interest to keep Colum. Well, even if they're not, it, it, it's in their best interest to keep Colomay cheap and give the saves to the guy that um, is on the guaranteed deal whose price and cost cannot go up. So if Herrera is healthy, I think he's the guy in Chicago. Um, he's also a proven commodity um, as, uh, as a closer in, in the major leagues. So it's not like Colome is um, – it's not like the alternative of Colome hasn't done it before. In this case, Herrera was a reliever of equal and perhaps greater quality at his peak than Colome was. So I'm willing to roll the dice that Herrera takes that job. All right. For my last two, 28th and 29th, couple of NL East closers. I have to go a road to Vizcaino here. Uh, he was really good for me in the first half last year. He kind of, you know, battled with injury and durability and a couple blowups late in the season and Minter took over. Uh, as of right now, it seems like Vizcaino is the guy. I think if he, you, you obviously have to keep an eye on this in spring training and see how he looks, but I think they're going to make him the firm closer if he looks as durable as he did early like he did last year. And uh, my second pick here, Drew Streckenrider. I really like this guy's stuff. Marlins are not going to win a lot of games, but you know what? Anything can happen to Major League Baseball. They should be a little better than they were last year, and I think he's got the best stuff in the pen. I don't think Connolly's going to – I mean, Connolly might see a few save opportunities when there's lefties coming up in the ninth, but I think second rider's the guy. I think he's the best guy to have in the pen, and a 29th overall reliever, you could do worse. Yeah, I sort of struggle with this last one um, between A.J. Minter and Hunter Strickland. Um, give, you can give me Hunter Strickland, though, who was signed this week by Seattle and is the apparent favorite for saves out there. Um, you may recall last year he took the Giants' job and, and pretty much ran with it, um, but then blow, blew a save punched a wall and his season was pretty much done. Um, they DFA'd him to start the year and he's now signed on in Seattle. Um, you know, Seattle's not going to be a great team. I, I think they may be a little underrated, but um, the ballpark is pretty good. Strickland has shown the ability to close before, um, provided he can keep his head on straight. <laughs> I think that it's a job that, um, he can he can pretty much run with, um, you know he's not he's, he's sort of like Herrera in that and Colome in that he's not an elite K guy, but he does enough to get the job done. Um, so I mean I, I I think that he's got the opportunity to see the volume of saves out there, and that sort of puts him over Minter for me. 
Um, but it is very close because I am very intrigued by Minter's skill set, and I'm not sold on Vizcaino. I, I do think that Minter's a guy that's got a decent shot to um, seize that role at some point this season and really run with it. But Minter has his own inconsistencies as well, and that's sort of what makes me lean towards Strickland at this given moment. Okay, that's going to wrap it up for us tonight. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at Patrick FWO. JP will eventually set up his Twitter yes. uh, maybe by March. Yeah. <laughs> Go, we, you know, a lot going on right now. Yeah. Um, and we will. I will be back next week with bold predictions. I'm not sure if, uh, who, if anybody, will be joining me. But thanks so much for listening, guys, and I will talk to you next week. Pat, real quick before you go. Oh, that's right. You wanted to do Super Bowl. I, 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 I got to let it out. You want to go first? Yeah, it's very simple for me. Uh, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, Patriots, everything comes full circle. Pats, 27, Rams, 21. Yeah, I think Belichick and Brady are the only places where the Patriots are better. I think the Rams are better totally everywhere else. Uh, the Patriots... While they've won so many Super Bowls, they should have lost more than they've won. They've never played a great, complete game as a team in these Super Bowls. Like, Brady was great last year, and they've had some great offensive and defensive performances. But as a team, they've always played good enough to win. They've never dominated. If you could buy a point, buy the point. Give me the Rams plus four. Don't be surprised if they win it. They have oh, come on. you got to give a formal prediction. You can't. They- I'll give, you, I'll give you a score. Interior pressure. They have the formula. The interior pressure with, with uh, Donald and Sue, that's what gets Brady. They have the running game to keep him you know, on the bench. I'll go 31-28 Rams on a late Greg the Leg field goal. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> you're just such a Jet fan. Well, um, real quick, real quick. The line is only minus two. I'd like the Patriots more if there was a higher line. It seems like a trap. The whole the whole world is saying, wow, the Patriots are only given two points. There's such a lock. And the public's always wrong. So the Rams seem like a really sneaky pick here. And I was the guy who bet the, bet the Eagles last year. So I'm on a little bit of a roll with these Super Bowls. <laughs> yeah, you got one. No, I'm telling you. I've been, I've been hot. I've been hot. Row. All right, well. That's going to wrap it up for us this week. Everybody enjoy their Super Bowl. If you're stuck in this Arctic freeze, try and stay warm. And we will be back next week. Have a good night.